Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. He still remembered the day that his wife came out to the field to interrupt him while he was working. Now, she had never done that before, so he was concerned right away. He's thinking, what's wrong? Is everything okay? Are you all right? She said, you need to have a seat. So he sat down on a stump just a few paces from where he was working. And as he sat, he articulated his concerns. Are you all right? Is everything okay? What's going on? She walked up to him. She put her finger on his lips and she said, you need to let me talk because I have some news. Okay, news, but what kind of news? What's going on? And he's looking at her and all of a sudden he sees a bit of a twinkle in her eye and a smile start on the corner of her lips. Okay. Okay, it's good news, it's good news, it's good news. Good, good, good. She says, you're going to be a father. Time stops. He's dumbfounded. The only thing he can manage is one word. He says, what? <laughs> you're going to be a father. Well, that's the last thing he was expecting. They've been trying for years and years and years, and they've given up hope that they could ever have a baby, and now he's going to be a father? He stands up, he swings his wife around, and they're holding each other and standing in the field for a long, long time crying. Happy tears. Grateful tears. And then their beautiful little baby boy is born. He's healthy, strong. He's the greatest blessing that he ever could have hoped for. And their little baby boy grows up, becomes rambunctious and vocal and loud and laughter and everything that comes along with a two-year-old. One of his favorite moments of every day is to walk in after a day of work at the field. He can't take two steps and his little boy runs to him. He jumps into his arms and he says the same word that he never gets sick of hearing, daddy. But then their beautiful little boy turns three and something changes. He stops talking. He stops shouting. He stops laughing. He stops saying, Daddy. He stops crying. In fact, he makes absolutely no noise at all. He becomes completely silent. Well, now him and his wife are worried, but that's just the beginning because pretty soon the seizures start. And these seizures can happen anytime and any place. It seems especially likely to happen when their beautiful little boy is near fire or near water. And so his life basically depends on them watching him every second of every single day. His beautiful little boy, battered and bruised, injured and cut. When he looked into his eyes before, he would just see fear and hope and wonder, but now when he looks into the eyes of his beautiful little boy, all he can see is fear, confusion, and panic. So they wait a month for things to settle down, but they don't. So after a month, he goes to his wife and he says, I believe this is demonic. I'm taking our little boy to the temple. We will see him laugh again and run again and live again. So he sets out for the temple with his beautiful little boy, his beautiful battered and bruised and scared and silent little boy. And they go to the temple. And that moment begins eight years of failure, futility, and frustration. 
See, because that day the priest at the temple tells them a version of something that they would hear over and over and over and over again for the next eight years. We can't drive out this spirit. It's a mute spirit. It's a mute spirit. We need to know its name. We can't drive out a mute spirit. And yet he keeps trying for eight years. He doesn't give up. He keeps believing. He holds on to his faith for eight years. It becomes his full-time job. He barely sleeps. He works just enough to put food on the table for the three of them. But he searches and he researches and he looks for any opportunity to help his beautiful little boy, his battered and bruised, scared and silent little boy for eight years. Their house that used to be full of laughter and joy is now dead quiet all day, every day. So at the end of eight years, he's in the kitchen and his wife walks up. She says, you need to sit down. Well, he knows what she's going to say and he doesn't want to hear it, so he starts talking. She walks up to him. She puts her finger on his lips. She says, you need to let me talk. I want to tell you how proud I am of you. You're an amazing husband. You're an incredible dad. You've never given up. You kept believing. You kept the faith. You kept trying. You kept striving. But it's eight years. We need to accept the way that things are. We need to accept reality. We need to accept that this is our life now. And he wants to object. He wants to argue with her. But the thing is, she's right. So he stands up in the kitchen and he hugs his wife. And they stand there for a long time crying. Sad tears. Heartbroken tears. But the next morning he wakes up and he says to his wife, one more. <laughs> one, one more trip. One more try. And she looks at him and he looks into her eyes and he sees how sad she is and how tired she is, and so he waits. She says, really? Just one more, one more trip, one more try. So she nods, and he sets out that day with his beautiful little boy, his beautiful battered and bruised and silent and scared little boy, and they walk three days to a place called Galilee. See, so heard of this guy named Jesus. Some say he's a teacher. Others say maybe more than a teacher, a healer. Some say maybe even more than a healer. And so they walk for three days, him and his beautiful, battered, bruised, silent and scared little boy. And as they walk, it's quiet. And he does a lot of thinking. Makes him sad, you know, because he realizes he doesn't remember the sound of his own son's voice anymore. And he doesn't know what it is to look into his son's eyes and see hope and wonder and joy because all he can remember seeing day after day for eight years is fear, confusion, and panic. But eventually they arrive at this place called Galilee to the spot where they say Jesus is going to come and he stands there and he waits and he thinks about their quiet little house. He thinks of their family, he thinks of his wife who is waiting and eventually Jesus shows up. He calls out to him, teacher, teacher. And Jesus looks, and when he looks at them, it's almost like he's been expecting to see them that day. 
Jesus starts to walk over, and in that moment, the demon throws this little boy into a seizure, and Jesus asks the father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But, if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us, if you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for, for one who believes. Immediately the, boy, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. You deaf and mute spirit, Jesus said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit's shriek convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. It, it would be impossible for me to convey to you the beauty of the walk home over those next three days from Galilee. But if I had to try, I would probably contrast it with the walk there. You remember I told you the walk there was silent. The walk back was not silent. His little boy was talking again, at first slowly, but eventually it was like he wanted to make up for eight years of lost time, and his father didn't mind at all. And when he looked into his little, beautiful boy's eyes, slowly, 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 he saw the fear and the confusion and the panic give way to hope and joy and wonder again. If it was up to this dad, he would have taken the long way home. Like, why make it three days? Let's just, let's just take a three-day walk. This is awesome. But there was somebody waiting at home. And so they get back home, and he stops about 20 yards short of the house, and he says to his beautiful little boy, he says, hey, you go on ahead. Boy says, what? He says, yeah, what I want you to do is I want you to go up to the door, and I want you to knock. And when your mom answers... I want you to say, hey, mom, and give her a hug. So he does. He walks up, the father is following, and the kid knocks on the door, mom answers, and, 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 and she hugs him, and, and he can see his wife's face, and it's beautiful, and it's everything. And then he joins him up on the doorstep of their house, and they hug, and they stand there for a long time, and they cry. Happy tears. Maybe happier tears, grateful tears, maybe even more grateful tears. See, we're in this series based on the 12 steps of recovery, and I've been thinking about you, and I've been praying for you, whether you're watching online or in person, all week long. And I've been thinking that there was a time in your life, there was a time in my life, when everything was wonder and hope and joy. That when we looked ahead at our future, we saw potential and, and promise. But then something happened. W what is it that happened? I, I, I guess life happened, right? Like years and years and years, and what happens sometimes is that our, our faith gets ground away a little bit. Our, our hope gets ground away a little bit. Our wonder gets ground away a little bit. I talked to you about this last week. I don't believe that there is a square inch of neutral territory in this universe. We live in this world and it's beautiful, right? But it's also broken. 
And what happens is life happens. And we move from a place of freedom. We move from a place of expectation. We move from a place of wonder. We move from a place of hope into a place of bondage, into a place of compulsion, into a place of obsession, into a place of depression, anxiety, and even addiction. And how does it happen? Well, it it just happens little bit by little bit. I'm telling you, there's not a neutral square inch of territory in this universe. And so if you think that you can just stand in one spot, you're wrong. You're wrong. We're always drifting. And the proclivity in our world, beautiful yet broken, is that we will drift away from freedom and towards bondage. And so what I want to do over the next 12 weeks is I want to I want to set a goal that we would intentionally move to freedom, to hope, to wonder, to joy again, intentionally, step by step by step. So I've asked you many times, I'll ask you again today to please make it a priority. If you can be here live, online, or in person, let's do that. If you miss for whatever reason, catch up. And maybe you're here online or in person for the very first time today, and you're here in step three, step three. Well, I jumped partway through. No, no, you're going to love it. It's a great sermon. You're going to enjoy it. But I got a favor. If you like it, go back and listen to step one and step two and get caught up and get ready for step four. One other thing I would ask is to just take a moment to text the keyword 12. T-W-E-L-V-E, I'm from Red Deer, was that right? T-W-E-L-V-E, okay, yeah, good. You can text that, and, and what, what you will get is you will get a worksheet every week based on the step that we are doing that week. They also have them available in the lobby. And the point is, is we're not just gonna kind of get work done on Sundays. I want you to spend some time during the week making a conscious, intentional attempt to move from a place of bondage to a place of greater freedom, wonder, joy, and hope. So we start in step one. Step one says this, my life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. That's a statement of humility. My life is unmanageable and I'm powerless to fix it. That's a statement of humility. Step two says this, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's a statement of hope. Well, today is step three. And step three says this, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. That's a statement of faith. Humility, hope, faith. Humility, hope, faith. I've heard the first three steps summarized this way. I can't, humility. God can, hope. I think I'll let him. That's faith. I can't. God can, I think. I'll let him. So today is week three. I think I'll let him. Today we're going to talk about faith. And it's interesting because that story that I read from you out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, at first glance, glance might seem sort of unrelatable to you. There's this little boy, and there's an evil force at work in his life. There's a, an evil force at work in his world that is literally trying to destroy him. And there's a part of you, and there's a part of me that looks at that story, and we go, oh, that's weird, you know? That's something that happened 2,000 years ago in the universe, but it certainly doesn't happen to people like me, and it certainly doesn't happen in the world today. And I want to tell you something, because I really want to make sure you hear me right up front. His story is your story. His story is your story. You need to recognize you in his story. 
There is an evil force at work in your world. There is an evil force at work in your life that every single time, if you think you're standing still, it's going to move you away from freedom towards bondage, towards anxiety, towards depression, towards compulsion, towards obsession, towards destructive habits, towards addiction every single time. There is not a neutral square inch in the universe. So we look at that story. We must, must understand. If we're going to get anything out of today, we must understand this. His story is your story. One in five teenagers in Canada, one in five teenagers in Canada will intentionally harm themselves, either by cutting or burning. One in five. For some of them, it's a one-time thing. For others, it's habitual and repetitive. One in five. And it's not just teenagers. Statistically speaking, that means that there's many people watching online right now or here in person right now, and that's your story. <clears throat> You've hurt yourself. And maybe it's not a one-time thing. For you, maybe it's habitual and it's repetitive. And I've been thinking about you all week and I've been asking God to give me words that I can speak to you that aren't just gonna seem like white noise that applies to somebody else and not you. I was sitting by the river the other day praying and asking God to give me some words. So here goes, because I really feel like God, it's no mistake that you're here watching online today. It's no mistake that you're here in person today that God has something he wants to say to you specifically. Here it is, are you ready? Here it is, you are beautiful. You are beautiful. You don't feel that way. I know, but you are. That there is a God who spoke the universe into existence, and he's good, and he's great, and you're his idea. You started out as a dream in the mind of God. He says you're beautiful, and he loves you absolutely and completely. And I get it, I get it, I get it. You find yourself today in a place of fear, confusion, and panic. But I'm telling you, he wants to restore something to you. He wants to restore your wonder. He wants to restore your hope. He wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore your beauty. That, that you might be seven years old. You might be 17. You might be 27. You might be 77. I'm telling you, God has a plan for your future, and it's beautiful. So I got a favor to ask. Got a favor to ask you. It's super courageous. We got a phone number here. Don't know if you ever heard of it. 604-670-3040. And someone from another city who watches us online, he goes to a different church, but he watches us online. And I was talking to him last week and he made fun of me about the phone number. He's like, man, you say that phone number a lot. I say, what number? 604-670-3040? He's like, yeah, you repeat it over and over again. Yeah, like, I said, yeah, I know, like 604-670-3040. I keep repeating 604-670-3040. It's like I can't say 604-670-3040 enough. It's like I'm obsessed with saying 604-670-3040. It's a really weird thing. And here's why, because I want you to know it. I want you to know that there's real people on the other end of that phone number. And I want you to know you're beautiful. And I'd love it if you could reach out. We want to pray for you. And if you will allow us, we would love to take some next steps with you. To restore your mind. To remember that you're beautiful and so is your future. 
one out of 10 Canadians have an eating disorder. In other words, their relationship with food is literally destroying them. One out of four people with an eating disorder will try to kill themselves. Online right now and in person right now, there are many, many people who are dealing with a compulsion, an obsession, a destructive habit, or an addiction. Could be drink, could be drugs, could be food, could be lust, could be entertainment even. And if you look at your life, realistically, you would say this. You would say, it's destroying my relationships. It's destroying my emotions. It's destroying my hope. It's destroying my family. It's destroying my life. Well, why is it happening then? Here's why. Because there's not a neutral square inch in the universe that that little boy's story in Mark chapter 9 is my story and it's yours. Like maybe you've looked back at your life from time to time and you say this, it's really weird because I get myself to this point where I'm just on the verge of something beautiful, just on the verge of something great, just on on the verge of something awesome relationally, financially, professionally, existentially, and then every single time, I'm just about there, I'll do something to sabotage it. Why in the world would that be? Because there's not a neutral square inch in the universe. You might be an amazing person. Look, you don't want to brag, but let's face it, you're amazing. But if you really look back at your life, you would say, man, there's like a moth to a flame. Like a moth to a flame is you and dating destructive people. Dating destructive people, marrying destructive people over and over and over again. Why would that be? Oh, because there's not a neutral square inch in the universe. And the little boy's story in Mark 9, that's your story. Or maybe you look back at your life and you... Think about the cost of your anger, that your anger destroyed your marriage, it destroyed your family, it destroyed your career, destroyed your friendships, it's destroying your life. Or maybe it's your people-pleasing tendencies. You started acquiescing and then eventually assimilating and all of a sudden, little by little, month by month, year by year, you lost your voice. Or maybe it's as simple as this. You can't even enjoy the beauty of today because you're so worried about the worst case scenario coming up tomorrow. Hey, maybe you're wondering why I wasn't here two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, maybe you showed up online or in person, but I didn't. I'll tell you why. Um, So when I was a kid, teachers used to say, man, you're hyperactive, you're hyperactive. Can't sit still, can't stop talking, can't pay attention, can't behave. And I think what happened to me is, like I'm, I'm still a little bit like that. I'm still a little bit like that. So speaking of a moth to a flame, I have a, um, if left to my own devices, I will always move towards living my life at an unsustainable pace, every single time. I'll wake up earlier in the morning, I'll stay up later at night, I'll try to, I'll try to, uh, uh, to, to squeeze more and more and more and more and more and more things into my life. And the worst part of it is, if left to my own devices, I'll live my life at an unsustainable pace, and then in my mind, my mind starts to go, like go, go, fast, all the time, thinking, 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 thinking. Like when I was a kid, we used to have this fair in Red Deer called the Westerner. 
in Red Deer, Alberta. The Westerner, right? Amazing, best fair in the world, okay? And so we would, not really, but anyway, so we, uh, my buddies and I would walk down the midway, and I wasn't a big ride guy, to be honest, but they were, and so every once in a while I'd go on a ride, and you go on these rides, these crazy rides, and there's a guy on a speaker, and he's always asking the same stupid question. What's that question? Do you know what he asks you? He asks this, do you want to go faster? And I'm the only one on the ride going, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Hey, two kilometers an hour is plenty. I'm getting a sense of what this ride is all about. I'm not sick, I'm not losing my lunch. It's fine, it's fine, I don't want to go. Everyone else on the ride is, yes! We want to go faster. Well, that little dude is in my head. And he's always asking my brain, do you want to go faster? And my brain is always going, absolutely. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. And the thing is, is like, I don't really notice it. Like when I'm doing well, oh, I'm doing well. Like I'm flying. This is great, great, great processing. Awesome, awesome. But I just can't shut my brain down. So when I was a younger guy and I was teaching school, the rhythms of teaching kind of provide these like downtimes, you know, like Christmas break, for example. So what happened to me is I was going and going and going and I'd hit Christmas break and I'd get sick every time, every time, like first day. And it'd be like my brain, my, my body telling my brain, sit down, shut up and chill out. Okay. But, but in the church, there's not really those downtimes like Christmas for sure isn't. So what I've found happened to me lately is uh, I don't get sick, I get vertigo. Okay, so if I'm going and going, and I'm feeling great. I gotta tell you, I'm just awesome. Like I'm feeling great, I'm processing, this is great. Life is good, I'm just flying. The little dude, do you wanna go faster? I'm like, yeah, let's go. And then all of a sudden I wake up one day and, 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 and now somebody's asking the room if it wants to go faster. And I'm like, no, 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 but it is. It's just going and going. And I know there's physical reasons for vertigo, but the little dude in my head, he's part of the reason that the physical things happen to me. Oh, that's why I wasn't here two weeks ago. Okay, so I, I, I couldn't have stood on the stage. What I'm saying to you, now some of you are looking at me going, you're so weird, like that's so weird, you got the little guy, do you wanna go faster? And some of you are like, that's, that's my story. That's exactly my life. Good, I'm glad you're here, okay? There's not a neutral square inch in the universe. So when you read the story of the little boy in Mark chapter nine, please just know this, his story is your story. And so the dad says, well, I'm gonna fix this. I'm gonna fix this, I'm gonna fix this. And maybe you can relate to that attitude. I'm gonna fix this, I got this. And maybe there was a time in your life when you said, man, I'm gonna fix my marriage, I'm gonna do this. But you couldn't. There was a time that you said, I'm gonna fix my kid, I'm gonna do this, but you couldn't. I mean, it's worse than that though, isn't it? There's moments in your life that you can't even control how you feel. You say, I'm gonna stop being angry I'm gonna stop being insecure. I'm gonna stop being jealous. From this moment on, I'm gonna stop. And there's moments when you can't, even, you can't even change the way you feel. I'm gonna stop being bitter. Maybe it's diet. You got all these goals around your diet. It's pretty simple, right? It's not super easy though. You got workout plans and they don't happen. Or maybe you find yourself developing these habits. You don't want to go there. You don't want to be that way. But yet you, all, you find yourself over and over and over again there. Maybe it's the sites that you go to on the internet, the people that you hang out with, the places that you go to that you know that don't bring out the best in you. Or maybe it's something just as simple as this. The way you talk to your kids. 
All these moments that you have where you walk away and you go, what was that? So the father realizes, well, I can't do it myself, so he starts to ask people to help him. It's, it's interesting because if I had time, I would take you back to Mark chapter nine because before he asked Jesus to help his son, you know who he asked? He asked the disciples of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus could not help him and that's important. We live in a world today full of dependence and codependence. We got all kinds of people walking around looking towards other people going, would you complete me? Would you meet my deepest needs? Would you fix what's broken inside of me? And and they keep looking around and looking around until they find a codependent person. And the codependent person says, I would love to. I would love to meet your deepest needs. I would love to complete you. I would love to fix the brokenness inside of you. And then it leads to romantic relationships that always end in resentment because you end up looking at the person going, well, you weren't able to do what you said, what you somehow promised me, what I thought you might be able to do. And of course, no one in the universe could have done that, but you're still mad. And it's not just romantic relationships, it's friendships too. We walk around and we're looking for that friend that can complete us until we find a codependent person who says, man, I would love to. And it ends up in resentment also, which is why, by the way, if you think about it, if you think about it, you would say that the people that got the most angry at you and treated you the worst were sometimes the people that you tried the hardest to help. Why? Because they were a little bit dependent and you were a little bit codependent and you didn't come through because guess what? You can't. It's weird, right? The disciples of Jesus couldn't help that little boy. I don't think a week goes by anymore that we don't hear about another prominent church leader going off the rails or falling flat on their face, right? It's pretty interesting. And I think the reason why is because, well, it's systematic codependence. It's systematic codependence. This is how it happens. When when I come up here on a Sunday... I want to encourage you, I want to inspire you, I want to challenge you, I want to educate you, I do. But if you've been at Southside for any length of time, you know that all the challenge, all the encourage, all the inspiration, all the education is all about this. I want to direct you, I want us together to walk towards Jesus. Because I know I can't fix you. But here's what happens. It's really tempting when you're on a stage like this, having a venue like this, it's really tempting to get up here and say, I want to inspire you. I want to encourage you. I want to educate you. I want to challenge you. And all of a sudden, though, you got some dependent people out there, and before you know it, you say the next thing. You say, and I can fix you. Oh, now it's a nightmare. Starts out good, but... Over time, that church leader, they placed a weight on themselves that they are absolutely unequipped to carry. And I get it, right? They make their own decisions, but I really believe that for so many church leaders who go off the rails, it's just kind of at this point where they're like, I can't carry this around with me anymore. And the only way that they can see out is to just do that, whatever that is. So I get it, right? I know when I'm up here and I tell you that I got a little dude in my head going, do you want to go faster? Like I get it that there's some people that are going to walk out today and go, I can't go to that church. Weird dude, got a little like fair, you know, fair midway dude in his head. Like that's so weird. I get it. That's fair. That is fair. But I would way rather that. I would way rather that than anybody watching online or in person right now having the impression, oh, I can fix you. Well, you get it, right? Like, these 12 steps, like, I need them. (laughs) 
I really need them. Like every week on Wednesday at noon, we do a staff chapel. And together as a staff, we're going through these 12 steps. See, what I wanna do is I wanna go on a journey with you. Hey, let's, let's, let, let's, let's walk towards freedom. One more trip. One more try. So he brings his beautiful little boy to Jesus. And then one of the most amazing dialogues in the entire Bible. He says to Jesus, if, if, you get it, right? Eight years, man. Eight years he's been trying. Eight years he's been searching. Eight years he's kept the faith. And right now, frankly, his faith is running a little bit low. So he looks at Jesus, he's heard good things, but I don't know, so he says, if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes. And then this father, this, this giant of the faith. Because Jesus is about to heal his boy. Did you know that? Yeah, I read it earlier. Jesus is about to heal his boy. This giant of the faith. This, this, this master of faith, this behemoth of belief. I just made that up myself, okay? This amazing dude. Watch this statement of confidence. Eight years and this guy is still strong, just like you need to be. Listen to this. Listen to this incredible statement of faith and confidence. I do, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief, that's it. That's the faith, that's step three. Jesus said this, <clears throat> you know what it takes? There's a mountain between you and freedom. There's a mountain between you and freedom. You know what kind of monstrous faith it takes to move the mountain? The size of a mustard seed. What's faith the size of a mustard seed? It's this faith. It's been eight years. <laughs> It's been 18 years, it's been 28 years, I do believe, but I need you. I need you to help me with my unbelief. That's it, that's it. See, I don't know who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, I don't know exactly what's going on in your life. Maybe you've kind of hit, reached the end of yourself, like this father did, you know? when you realize there's a limit to your own ability to make things happen, or maybe you've met some people, you've met a person, you thought, oh, now everything's gonna be okay, but it's just not okay, it's not everything that you thought it would be. And, and, and what I wanna suggest to you today is that you're here for a reason, you're watching online for a reason, here's my idea, here's my idea, here's my idea, it's crazy, listen to this, here's, I got an idea, listen, here it is. You ready? Amazing idea, one, more, try. Jesus is here and he wants to meet you, and he's looking for this incredible, massive amount of faith that you might have the ability to say this to him. I do believe. Just enough to think that you could help me with my unbelief. That's it. That's it. That's it. So I made a switch to the service order. I asked the band to close us. 
please stay. <laughs> if you could, please stay to the end. This is for all of us. And I'm gonna ask you to remain seated. It's a song that they played earlier, but I want it to be a statement of confession. You know what I mean? Just a statement of, I can't, but God can. I think, I think I'll let him. I have just enough faith to believe that he can give me the faith. I have just enough belief to believe that he can help me with my unbelief. So the band plays. Let's use this as a time of reflection and confession. Just remain seated, thanks. I love you guys a lot. Your heart, to your heart, your 
closer than my every breath You're closer than my every step Closer than the song I sing Closer than anything You're closer than my every breath You're closer than my every step Closer than the song I sing Closer than anything Closer than my every breath You're closer than my every step Closer than the song I sing Closer than anything and I need your love like I need water and I need your love like I need breath Inside of my lungs, burn in my heart just like a fire this moment that was really nice guys it's always so fun doing Sundays with you remember to do your book work on the 12 steps it's so worth it it's so impactful and have an amazing sunny Sunday and we will see you back next week thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes and to stay up to date with all things Southside follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram We love you guys. The best is yet to come.